you are listening to The Current Daily, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Tuesday, July 21st. Coming up, we'll hear from Brian DeMille on all the stuff his team is working on, which is quite extensive. But first, quick reminder of the staff town hall happening this Thursday afternoon. All the relevant information is right there on the homepage of Blink. Keep in mind, they do want you to register in advance, so be sure to take care of that beforehand. There is truly an all-star cast lined up, including vice chancellors, HR personnel, and representatives from UC San Diego Health. Part of registering is also entering a question you want them to answer, so come up with a good one that will help all of us. Now, without further delay, here are Mark Herzberger and Brian DeMille. This is Mark Herzberger. Today, I'm joined by Brian DeMille. He's our Director of Enterprise Architecture and Infrastructure. Brian, welcome to the pod. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Mark? Not not bad. Thank you for asking. Uh, How has your work-from-home adventure been since March? It's been very interesting, trying to adjust to completely remote work. Uh, going through kind of the ups and downs of all the additional stressors that we've all been under, but things have kind of settled into a pattern and we've been able to accomplish quite a bit, even given the current situation. So I think all things considered, doing quite well at this point. You've been asking some of our SMT guests, we asked Vince the other week when he came on, but Back in March, when did you really start to realize the impact that the COVID situation would have? And what did you think at that moment? Even before we were given the announcement to evacuate and stay home, was kind of watching what was happening and was wondering why it actually took as long as it did. Part of it was, of course, due to our administration in the United States but um, also just locally what was happening at the time. So this was, of course, not anything any of us wished upon the world, but is something that we've had to make very rapid adjustments to accommodate. I think our organization did a superb job of assisting the university in this transition. And I'm sure we'd all wish that the situation were not what it is, but we have, like I mentioned just a bit ago, we have been quite nimble and have been able to adjust to the circumstances and still keep the university moving ahead and helping out with the technology needs, which have grown larger as a result of this situation. And our astute listeners might have noticed that I introduced your work group as Enterprise Architecture and Infrastructure. They may have affectionately come to love it as Infrastructure and Innovation. Why that name change and maybe just in the overview, what's the punchline of what your work group works on? The name change actually happened quite a long time ago, and my group has changed quite a lot since 2016 when we first launched ITS. 
But so currently um, in my group, I have the enterprise architects. Uh, we've been working a lot on ESR, the cloud, a lot of involvement with the various like components of ESR. So I've got individuals working on the finance system, on the student, uh, which is just in RFP mode right now. Um, we are also involved in trying to do cost optimization efforts throughout the campus, starting with ITS. And uh, on the infrastructure side, that is three separate groups. The enterprise network, which also includes the telephony services. So it's all the wired and wireless network services, as well as our voice services throughout campus. There's then the cloud infrastructure services group. And that's both our existing on-prem equipment and uh, services, as well as the cloud services utilizing public cloud resources such as Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and there are a couple others that we're talking to currently. And then lastly, there's the data and integration services group, which is involved, of course, in the integration platforms and the data movement infrastructure. Uh, including the database administrators and our uh, streaming platform, uh, traditional ETL platforms, and our API services. Sounds good. And uh, we've got a couple of topics to run through, so we'll probably hit on most of those groups. But to start off, you know, you were telling me off-air that the team has done some work with the uh, VPN capacity and tunnels to Amazon and other cloud providers. What is that work and why is it important? When the evacuation happened back in March, uh, we were preparing for a drastic increase in the use of the VPN, obviously, because uh, most of the staff on campus were sent home to work there. So, at that point in time, we had one set of VPN concentrators that were serving both client VPN needs as well as a lot of our point-to-point VPN tunnels for Amazon, Google, Azure, as well as ones that we have in place that are point-to-point for specific partners throughout San Diego County, some biotech and other uh, health and other agencies that we work quite closely with. And so the decision was made to get ahead of this and something that we were planning on doing at some point anyway was to split the infrastructure capability for the client side versus these uh, point-to-point tunnels uh, for other types of infrastructure services into two distinct uh, areas. So we weren't kind of co-mingling the support and the potential for problems and issues in both of those arenas. So we deployed a new set of VPN concentrators and migrated all of the client activity off of the old equipment and onto the new equipment, which was accomplished sometime in, I believe it was May. But prior to May, there was a lot of work. It was a cross-functional group with the network architects, the security group, a lot of the field support folks to try to assist our campus customers to be able to have their folks work in a remote fashion. And I won't go into all the technical details, but um, it was quite a large lift over a very short period of time, not unlike 
things that were going on within the instructional and educational group and others. Um, so it was a very successful effort. Next on our list here is Cloud Bank, and that got announced probably about a year and a half ago. And that's a collaboration with our IT services, and I think Supercomputer and University of Washington. What is the Cloud Bank and what's the latest news there? So Cloud Bank is the name of an entity that's essentially housed at UC San Diego, but it came out of an NSF award that was given to the University of California, San Diego, the University of Washington, and the University of California, Berkeley. So Mike Norman from the Supercomputer Center is the principal PI. Uh, Vince um, is one of the PIs, and there are, are there's one from UW and there's one from Berkeley, um, and another individual we work with over at Supercomputer Center, Shava Smolin, who's also one of the co-PIs on that award. That award was provided to stand up what's called a cloud access entity. At least that was the name in the grant. This grant is targeted to try to reduce friction for researchers to use public cloud resources. And what ITS and the Supercomputer Center are working on is both the contracting and technical connections between um, a portal which is being developed by the Supercomputer Center folks under Shava and the various cloud providers to be able to onboard the PIs that are given the awards from CloudBank, automate provisioning into one or more of the public cloud providers, and then be able to provide educational information for the researchers. And in some cases, depending upon the grant, it could also have to do with providing public cloud resources for use in instructional environments. And so UW was on the hook to provide the educational portion of the award. Uh, Berkeley is providing the instructional capability. ITS and the Supercomputer Center are doing all of the billing management, financial controls, security controls, onboarding, portal development, and management of the relationships with the public cloud providers. And since that award was announced, what's the status or what's happened since then? So year one, which we're in year one right now, was to build out the portal and get all the mechanics in place to be able to onboard researchers that are to be given awards. The year two starts August 1 of this year. Um, we already are aware of one or more NSF solicitations that will be awarded in the fall of this year. So we are in the process of finalizing the portal, still working on some of the contracting, um, although that's mostly in place. So we do, even right now, I and mean, we have the ability to onboard researchers if an award was provided right now. We are just currently kind of fine-tuning a lot of the work in the portal and um, still working with a couple of the cloud providers to finalize some of the contracting. And then we've had uh, interest from additional cloud providers. So the original award was targeted primarily at Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, but we are also now talking to IBM and Oracle has also expressed interest in being involved in this. So we're, this is gonna be an ongoing thing. So CloudBank, it's a five-year award. 
So we've got five years to kind of prove that this works. And the idea is to create as part of the overarching cloud bank effort, a sustainability model to fund ongoing operations of cloud bank in years six and beyond. Um, at the top of our chat, you mentioned your teams also uh, support a lot of the ESR projects. So we get some more detail on the nature of that work and the contributions. So that would be in two primary areas. One, one of the enterprise architects, Scott Lee, well, he's been with us for a few years now. Uh, he's been the primary enterprise architect for the ESR program in total and has been driving a lot of activity both on the finance side, the integration side, and will be involved ongoing throughout the program. And then most on the tech for the technical work has been within the data and integration services area where we've had to stand up a completely new data streaming platform, which is in Amazon currently, to be able to stream data feeds from various source systems. So this is inclusive of UC Path. Back in January, Kuali Research was deployed. Uh, that system is using the integration platform. Oracle Finance, which was just deployed a couple of weeks ago, is also utilizing that platform. And will be the platform for the future for us. And as we are able to move off of the old legacy platforms and deprecate those, all of the remaining sort of integrations will be plumbed through this new iPass platform, which has both streaming uh, capabilities as well as uh, old school kind of batch capabilities. Um, and we have a API management system that will be feeding APIs and publishing APIs, both from vendors, vendor fronted APIs, as well as ones that are internally developed. So that was a large, large lift. A lot of the data that gets plumbed, actually most of it is getting fed from the source systems to our SAP HANA data warehouse environment. And the APIs are getting developed to pull data from both our legacy data warehouse currently, but when the data source is in our activity hubs, which is our SAP HANA environment, uh, the APIs are pulling data from those repositories now. Okay. You mentioned the streaming data and the batch data. This is really interesting to me. What's the difference between those two and why is streaming going to be such an advancement for us? The concept of real-time data access and real-time data movement has been around for quite a long time, although very, very few organizations have actually been able to pull it off. There are some, I mean, if you look at Netflix, LinkedIn, other sort of platforms like that, they have, you know, within the last five to 10 years, been able to do those things. Um, within higher ed, this is virtually non-existent. So the fundamental difference, batch, of course, is large chunks of data are kind of piled up, and then they are scheduled to be able to get moved from the source to the target somewhere. Traditional batch also does some kind of transformation of that data in the middle before it loads it into the target repository. Streaming, right, and the ideal sense of streaming is capturing events that occur within source systems and sending those events as they occur into the target. 
So that is our, of course, default is to go there first. Um, we are constrained in some cases by source systems, unable to be able to provide event level activity, in which case we do kind of a quasi event batch thing to be able to still get the data there. But we are actively working on re-architecting some of those situations where the source system is unable to feed us the data in some kind of real-time fashion to be able to get to that. So that helps in terms of decision-making when management and executives need to get access to data as soon as possible. And so that's the default of where we're going. We've got a very solid platform established and the team has learned a ton and continues to learn how to run this. And we are well underway. So switching gears, what do we need to know about uh, NGN and the five-year planning cycle? NGN, for those that don't know, stands for the Next Generation Network. That was a program that was established close to 20 years ago. It has run in four phases thus far. So we're at the end of what you would think of as NGN4. So in these five-year planning cycles, which started quite a while ago, we have begun the planning for NGN5. NGN5 will officially start July 1 of 2021. And what we try to do each of these planning cycles is to assess the current services that are being delivered, whether those services are still valid. If so, fine. What services we may want to add, what services we may want to remove, what changes we may want to make. So, you know, the tech landscape changes pretty rapidly and trying to plan out even five years is sometimes difficult. And then we go through an exercise of soliciting some feedback from uh, certain campus customers that are heavy users of the network. And with all that information, we then start to put together plans for the next five-year cycle in terms of refresh of building and edge equipment, refresh of our core and backbone network, try to plan out shifts in technology including use of things like software-defined networking or SDN and other capabilities that will allow us to improve the overall performance of the network and reduce the overall cost of the network to the campus. So we are engaged in that planning cycle. We We need to have the plans and all this pretty much firmed up by the end of this calendar year to enter into the next budget cycle, which will start January of 2021. And let's wrap up with talking about the voice services network. Am I to understand there's a complete revamp or, or what are you looking at there with campus voice services? We currently, so in our voice platform, we currently have on-premises Mitel system that's been here for quite a while. And of course, as some of you know, there are handsets that we offer. We're trying to really take an overarching review of these voice services in total, including use of call center tooling, as well as soft phones, mobile capability, and put a plan together that will both address the needs of the campus, try to take advantage of some of the newer technologies, and ideally reduce the overall cost of our voice services to the campus. 
So we are in the middle of doing an uh, assessment of the voice services architecture, and uh, we likely will be sending out a survey in the next few weeks to the campus to collect additional data to be able to go into that analysis. Uh, and then we will put that up against some vendor offerings, including the one we currently have. So we have no preconceived notions of what we are going to do. We may remain with our current system and add on to that. We may reduce some of the reliance on the current system and shift to something else. We may rip out our current system over a couple of year period and shift to something that's not on-prem. We just don't know yet. So it's, it's going to be based on the needs of the campus and what we would be able to foresee is going to come going forward. I know there's a lot of colleagues of mine that are throughout the nation, and I've read a number of other articles of late regarding deprecation or drastic reduction of handsets, especially given the remote work environment. And lots of organizations have made statements about staying in this remote work environment on an ongoing basis. And so when you have that, it sort of shifts the needs and the capabilities that are required to be able to support voice services uh, broadly. So there's a couple of POCs going on on the voice services, including integration with Microsoft Teams and trying to see how well that voice service with Microsoft works. There's additional capabilities from our existing vendor that we're exploring. So we're kind of at the beginning. We need to come up with some kind of budgetary estimates fairly soon, but the planning will go on for another couple of months. Before we wrap this part one, anything else you want to mention about your team or your work? Other than I'm quite fortunate to have a spectacular team working for me. I've got Pedro Cruz, who's in the network uh, Enterprise Network Services Group. He heads that whole thing up, and I'm sure lots of you know who Pedro is. Becky Sapili is over our cloud and computing infrastructure group. And Natalie Gomier is over our data and integration services team. They're all exceptional people and employees. And we have many of those throughout the organization. I'm quite fortunate to be part of the team I'm part of and quite fortunate to be part of ITS and the University of California, San Diego. Great. Thank you for joining us, Brian. Thanks, Mark. Have a good day. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.